to the King's Insider Podcast on csncalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento King's Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the CSN King's Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me, as always, Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. AB, what's going on? Not much, man. How you doing? Uh, good, except for there's so much going on in the world right now. It's scary. It's a scary place. Uh, this is a basketball podcast, and we're not going to delve deeply into everything that's going on in the world. But let's just say that uh, we had to wait a little while because there's too much going on in the world. Uh, shootings and and craziness, chaos. Um, I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like staying indoors today, Aaron, and just kind of chilling out and, and trying to let the world calm down a little bit. Yeah, I think everybody needs a breather, uh, to be honest. And what I, what strikes me is I, I, I did, and maybe I'm being over-optimistic or hopeful, but I did sense that the majority of, of people out there are really tired of this and more so than maybe even in the past. And I think that the overwhelming message that I see from white people, black people, any race is that this has got to end and, and steps need to be taken. And, and it's a long conversation that needs to be had, but it cannot be dominated by the fringes of, of the people that are out there that are anger or probably angry that want to be divisive about this that everybody's got to really come together and put their foot down and say, we're just not going to stand for this anymore. We need to make continuous incremental changes along the entire spectrum of all of these problems. And it's going to take a very long time. But um, I did notice, um, maybe again, I'm being uh, a little over-optimistic, but I just did notice that there was the large majority of people out there had the same message, which is that we got to lead with love, you know, eradicate hate and, um, you know, approach it like that. Yeah, I, I just don't know what to say. I, I don't usually put my opinions out there, and, and I'm probably not going to today either. But uh, we need to figure all this out and really take a step back and just relax. And right let, now, everybody's got to take yeah, a step back just and relax. Let, and, and yeah, let this thing play out. Let it. Let the courts figure things out. Let everybody figure this thing out. Um, but the the craziness that we're seeing in our society right now, it just uh, I, I just I don't want to see it. I've got kids, uh, you know. I, I don't want well, I this think... unsafety and this this craziness. I mean, and it's not just here; it's all around the world. We're seeing these crazy things happening. It's just time to stop, stop, and respect the fact that we all live on this planet together. Yeah, we just have to take the divisiveness out of the equation. So whatever it's going to take to do that, that's what we got to do. And so if you're if you're out there today and you're focusing on what all of the problems are, you know, you need to be focusing on what the answers are and and really getting to the bottom of that. And and I think we can do that. I think that's what the majority of people want. And I think that the minority of people out there that want to live within the context of fear and hate are, are going to be marginalized. And hopefully that happens sooner rather than later. But there are some very serious issues out there that need to be addressed. And I hope they will. Yeah, me too. Me too. Okay, so let's get to basketball because that really is what we do. And uh, we do have a lot to talk about. Uh, we have not had a podcast since the, the Sacramento Kings went on their buying spree. And 
Uh, and then on top of that, we have minicamp. We have summer league starting on Friday night. We have a game on Friday, a game on Sunday, a game on Monday, and then the tournament progresses. Uh, Aaron and I, neither one of us, we're not going to Vegas this week. Um, Yeehaw! <laughs> yeah, actually, um, I-, I needed a break. I know that. And uh, after draft coverage, free agency coverage, Warriors coverage, student playoffs, which I know a lot of you are angry that I had to cover the Warriors for the playoffs. But let's just be honest here. I do work for people and just like you work for people. And uh, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. And and I'm A-OK with going and watching high-level, incredible basketball for a month and a half uh, as part of my job. So um, so it's just a good time to take a, a step back and take a breath and to not go into like 128 degrees sweltering heat where you come out of the week feeling like you were either cooked or air conditioned to death. And, uh, and then on top of that, you watch really, really, really bad basketball in a really small confined place with literally like 400 media members fighting for, for like 80 media seats. It's it's the clips worst. of Matthew Delavadova speaking before anybody even knows who Matthew Delavadova is. Yeah, yeah. And I've done summer league uh, the last few. Well, I didn't. I don't think I went last year, but the the previous like two or three years I had gone. It has some value, but but the Kings did a mini camp this week, and I guess we can start there, Aaron. The Kings mini camp. Um, we got our our first real look at some of the players, and again, we don't get to see enough to to make some huge judgment. I know people are hitting me up and. Ask me about uh, Uthoff, I think is how you pronounce his name, or uh, Mitrovic, one of the uh, the guys that they've brought over, a former second-round pick of the Philadelphia 76ers that came over in the big Jason Thompson, Carl Landry, Nick Stauskas deal. Um, so, but I, I did focus on watching Papa, Papa Giannis. He wants to go by GP, and I think everyone's telling him, like, hey, dude, you can't go by GP. That was Gary Payton. Um, I like PG-13, which is nice. I like Papa G. I like Big George. I like all of these names. Um, what is it? What name do you want to call him as we move forward, Aaron? I, I'm not going to force it. You know, it's like that's that guy from uh, Not Another Teen Movie. He's always trying to force a slow clap. But you just will know when the moment's right. <laughs> I, I think you're right. <laughs> I think what we have to do is we have to give like a, a giant bank of of these names to jerry reynolds and then let let, jerry figure it out yeah let jerry figure it out let him feel what feels right on the air let people respond to him and kind of let him figure out what feels right and then we'll just move on from there uh for right now i'll tell you this he is huge he is a gigantic man and what i mean by that is i have such a difficult time looking at him and then looking at his date of birth and and going, how in the world is he 18? He can grow a beard in like maybe 45 minutes. And, and then on top of that, I mean, he is 7'2", a legit 7'2", and maybe even bigger. He's got a 7'5", 7'6", wingspan. I didn't actually pull out the tape and measure, but uh, that is roughly what I've read. And... He has a trunk. He is built like a giant tree. I keep. I think I compared him to Mehmet Okur on on last week's podcast. Um, but 
he even looks a little bit like Brad Dougherty. That kind, he is a super long torso, but a gigantic man. He's got a huge behind that helps him in the post. He right now, I believe, could average twelve to fourteen points in old school back you down NBA post play. But I don't think he's going to get that opportunity. So that was my, uh, that's, uh, well, I'll share. What have you seen? What what did you like? I mean, I know you've watched video of him. What is it that you're seeing from him right now? The, just the upside of, of the potential to maybe be one of these transcendent players that can shoot and also move people around on the block. And if he can pass a little, he can do all these things. That would make him something really special. Now, there are obvious limitations to his defensive ability. He will get exposed in the pick and roll. He's going to have to find a way to be so good on the offensive end and or improve on the defensive end so he doesn't just get worked on a nightly basis. I mean, kind of guys like Jonas Valanciunas who – you know, for all of his skills, if he turned into Jonas Valanciunas, by the way, I think folks would be pretty happy with where he was selected. Um, but Jonas was not allowed to play in the fourth quarter because you can't get a stop with him in the game. If the def- if the offense wants to organize itself correctly, they will just go at him in the pick and roll, and then everything gets really easy for four on three or three on two basketball after that. So that's his. That's really the outlook. I thought it was great to hear him say he he thinks he could shoot threes. Um, mm-hmm. That, that, that he's even in that ballpark of thinking that, you know, I, all big men think that they can shoot threes and maybe he's just kind of spouting off, but I have a feeling that there's something to that. And that's really, it's an upside play. It's, it's going to be interesting because you know, the, all the criticism that Vlade got, it's the same type of criticism that anybody gets uh, when they take a, a kind of a no name guy when, when people didn't expect it, we've seen it work in the past. Um, we've also seen it not work. Look at, uh, um, was his name up in Toronto? Um, Bruno Caboclo oh. was uh, two two years away from being two years away, and, <laughs> and it still hasn't panned out. So everybody and Masai had a great reputation at that time that he made that pick. He still does, and everybody thought, well, you know, maybe this is the guy. But you know, sometimes it doesn't work. But but we'll see. I don't think people are going to think that when they see him play. I think the initial reaction is going to be, huh, huh. Okay. He's a lot closer, though, than Caboclo. Well, I mean, but again, we're talking about an 18-year-old kid. And, you know, a lot of people talked about Bender pre-draft. Oh, Bender, Bender, Bender. Bender played, like, two levels below Papagianis. Uh PG-13 ha- has played in, you know, high-level competition for a couple of years. He started playing professionally as, like, a 14-year-old. Um, but my takeaway from watching him move, number one, he's got such soft hands major league soft hands uh he also has an ability to get low in his stance when he's when he's guarding a a big man from you know 18 to 20 feet out so he's not like a a big stiff he's got quick feet um but the one thing i noticed right away is he looks completely out of sorts in the system that they're running so far and playing out above the arc because and people are like, well, why is he playing out, you know, by the three point line? And the fact is, in today's NBA, you set picks and you do all kinds of things. You make passes from that that high post. And on with a team with Demarcus Cousins, 
he's going to have to learn how to play all the way outside while Cousins is planted down below. And initially, he looks uncomfortable. And it's not... I didn't notice it nearly as much on the defensive end. I thought actually on the defensive end, he he played well. But again, he's up against a kid that has no chance of making it in the NBA. Um, But on the offensive end, he would catch the ball or he would run to the wrong spot or he would... He just looked uncomfortable and he hasn't figured it out yet. Uh, But it was, you know, again, he'd only had like one night session and one morning session when we saw him. Uh, But even in like three-man weaves, he didn't understand how to space right. And he he was kind of out of sorts moving up and down the the court in a three-man weave. Now, he can get up and hammer a ball like crazy. And he, he actually has, I would say, probably high 20s vertical leap. Uh, for a seven foot two guy with a huge wingspan, that that means a lot. That means he can do some tremendous things around the basket. Uh, and the fact is, he's seven two and he's only eighteen, which means he still has the potential to grow. So I think people would like to see Marcus Uh He compared himself to Pau Gasol, which I don't see at all now after watching him. I could very easily see Marcus and him being able to move his feet quick enough. He just needs to be taught. Uh, he needs to be taught about angles in the post and, and how you, you move to an angle, not try to stay in front of a guy that's barreling at you. So he's got some work to do there, but I actually do believe the Kings could go to him in the post on on game five and expect him to come away. You know, If he went down in the post and backed people down five times, he's going to come away with three made baskets and one foul. And he's going to shoot 60, 65% from the field. He's that big. He is that dominant in the post from what I saw. I think what you saw with this this kid is if he waits a year or two, he might be a top 10, top five pick. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, people, they enter the NBA for any number of reasons. And that particular, this particular draft was very stocked up with big men. There was a ton of big men that you really, there wasn't a lot of difference between them in terms of where to select them. And so I think with a lot of the size, like the size works for him, it works against him. I think seeing that he has so much room to grow and also on the defensive end, not being able to cover pick and roll in a pick and roll league and people wondering how is this all going to translate? I think he gets lumped in with that group of big men that went all the way down to the the 45th pick or something. And then he made a a late rise because Vlade showed interest in him and that got out and and that leaked. And you saw him make that late push up the draft express board. Um, So this is one of those, it could be a diamond in a rough Um, at the 13 pick. It's not as big of a, when you look at it in a vacuum, it's not as big of a gamble Um, at 13. You're still looking for upside in my opinion, um, because most 13 picks aren't going to do a whole lot in the association. Um, but then you do have to, if we go backwards, look at, well, you did have the eight pick. Well, you could have had Marquise Chris. You could have done this. You could have done that. And that's all water under the bridge. But if we're a- assessing the pick itself, you know, I think that those are all valid footnotes. Going forward, I really like his chance to just pl- play behind DeMarcus, even if he doesn't play. But if he plays behind DeMarcus for 10 minutes a game, that's going to be just fine because he's going to be very raw. If you don't know where to stand when you're on the floor, you're not going to play very much. And yeah. at 18 years old, that's not really that uncommon. 
It, I mean, not a lot of 18 year olds come into the league and actually know what they're doing. Uh, I mean, like Kobe, Kobe didn't even play that much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the list kind of goes on and on. How many 18 year olds have actually been successful at the NBA level? Not that many. Okay, so let me finish up with Papa G, and then we'll move on to the next player. Uh, the thing that I'm going to point out is, number one, when I say he's huge, he's actually got a he's got a man's body, not a boy's body, which a lot of players who come into the league when they are this big and this young, they actually have a, a teenager's body, and they're trying to do adult things. That's not the case with... Papa Giannis. He literally has the body of a 25-year-old man, at least. And I, I think that's really going to help him. It, and you match that with the fact that he played against high-level talent in Europe. He knows how to body. He knows how to get on you. Um, I think that's where he will... He's he's mature. And you're going to see that right away from from his body and his the way that he, he attacks the game. Uh, num- number two, I'll point out while the Kings had the number eight spot, what they did was they basically traded Marquise Chris. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah Marquise Chris for Papi Giannis and Skull and Bogdan Bogdanovich. Everyone believes that Bogdan Bogdanovich is an NBA player, and he's going to be 24 next year when he comes over. He is an NBA sharpshooting three-point guy at the NBA level that. You know he is he is doing wonderful things for the Serbian national team right now. I think the other day he had twelve points and eight assists. I'm actually I'm watching him right now. He shot four or five from three. You're watching him right now. I wish I could be watching him right now, Aaron Bruski. He's um, playing right now and um, he's looking pretty good. He, he looks like he can hang. Yeah, yeah, and that's what you want. I mean, what you want basically is to get Marco Bellinelli out of that but maybe a little bit more he looks like he's already better than marco bellinelli okay there it is right right now okay so i'll put i'll put money on that but let's get back to where we were because where we're going is to skull libisier and libisier just so people know he has as much or more potential and upside as marquise chris as much or more and people are gonna go wait but he went number 28 i don't care where he went he was the number two listed recruit for last year. The number two in the nation. This kid has so much potential. And my goodness, he's a sponge, number one. They already are telling me that he picks up stuff in the same way that Willie Cauley-Stein picks up stuff. He has an ability to take critique, go home, sit on it, process it, come back the next day, and not make the same mistake again. He... I was told that when he rises up on a jumper, he rises up like 35 inches off the ground on a jump shot as a seven footer and then shoots at the top of his arc. You can't block it. They're like, holy cow. Now, is he refined? No. Does he have the balance to do that all the time and to do crazies? No. But they are working really hard with him to develop him into something that that is really special. And that's what I've been told from him. Like, people are looking at him. When I asked Dave Yeager about him, first of all, he's a smartass. Uh, number two, he he looked at me, he's like, oh, man, this kid has a chance. And it's not this kid has a chance to make it. It's this kid has a chance to be something super special. And I'm like, really? And like, yes. he ha- And that's everyone there. 
at the King's practice facility that's seen him telling me the same thing. Oh boy, this dude, holy cow, he's got a incredible chance to be something super special. I don't know if you'll get there, but that's what I'm, I'm hearing. This draft has so much potential to make a lot of GMs look silly. And this isn't even limited to the Kings. You look at a guy like Bryce Johnson in for the Clippers. He's already looking great. And he, he was selected at 25. Um, Scal obviously fits that same mold. Um, guys up and down the post 20th. There's just, there was no consensus in this thing. Teams were all over the board in what they were selecting. So I think what that means is you don't look at players based on where they were drafted. You just look at what you see on the game film. You look at what you see with your own eyes and how they're, they're actually doing. Try not to pigeonhole them into where they're selected. And, and yeah, that, that does help solidify the decision uh, to, to make that move to, to draft Papianis. And I don't know if I look at it quite that way, but I w- I'm, I'm pretty favorable about the deal in general. I, I'm, I think I, what I gave it a C plus on draft day, and it's probably going to get better with each, time, each passing day. They're going to – I do like what Scal brings to the table. And um, I like the fact that they can, even if they move Kufus, they can bring him along slowly and uh, you know, actually coach the kid. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of upside here. That's that's what I'm coming down to, is that there's tremendous amount of upside, as much upside as anywhere else in this draft from what they got. And again, you got Bogdanovich as part of that deal. So a three for one, really to me, when Marquise Chris is a guy who was listed in the late teens all the way up until like two weeks before the draft when he started his ascension, um, you know, is he a Sacramento kid? Yes, but at the same time, look, you got to give all of this a little bit of time. Uh, to finish up on Skull, I'll also tell you, the nicest kid ever. Just, I, I absolutely love speaking to him. He has the biggest smile. It doesn't go away. His story is incredible. Uh, he knows that he was soft and um, not soft on the court, soft with um, his ability to work with Calipari at... I was going to bring that up at Kentucky. Like, yeah, yeah. The the I thought for him and Bryce Johnson, their their the jersey actually worked against them. I thought NBA decision makers looked at them and said, you know, we don't want to draft them based on their jersey, and they focused on all of their limitations and none of their upside. I mean, the upside for both players they're they're pretty similar in that they can both jump out of the gym. They both have unique offensive skill sets. It really was mind-boggling, and I think that there was a little bit of overthinking on the parts of the GMs, and especially in Scal's case, because he didn't play. And that, we, we, Coach Cal is a great recruiter, but in terms of basketball decisions and, and, and coaching teams and letting guys play, that's always been all over the board with him. So, uh, I, I, again, I thought they overthought it. Yeah, I, I definitely have heard that Cal rode him and rode him and rode him and rode him and kind of broke him down. And there's some concern that that could happen again at the pro level, uh, maybe not so much with the coaching staff because the coaching staff knows, uh, but with the locker room. And so there's a huge amount of hope that that won't happen this time. That But, but Willie's his vet, so it's all good. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> all I know is that Willie is learning too, and Willie's going to play in summer league. Uh, and, and I think people should be really excited to hear that um, Dave Yeager is running a lot of the offense through Willie as a high post player. 
and you're going to get to see a different Willie Cauley-Stein this year. He was very clear, like, last year I was told, don't do that. You're not allowed to do that. He's like, this year they're saying, hey, dude, we need you to do that. And when he's like, oh, I wasn't allowed to do that. And it's like, no, 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 no. Not only are you allowed to do it, you have to do it. You have to do it for our system to work. And so Willie is going to be a huge cog in everything that the Kings do. Just like, I mean, DeMarcus is going to be a huge cog. You know, he's going to be a player. If you go back to what Memphis does, Marcus All and Zach Randolph both are dominant at times during games. And you need them both to do those things. And Willie can do a ton of things that people don't even know that he can do. So just wait and see how that sort of marriage works out. And Willie, Willie not only once but twice... I've heard other coaches talk about, not only did Willie talk about what he wasn't allowed to do last year and sort of the limitations of the coaching staff, but I've heard Yeager talk about how Willie has expressed to them that the coaching staff completely pigeonholed him into one thing and only one thing. And then the same thing with Elston Turner. Elston Turner talked about uh, how he he's talked to Willie and Willie wasn't allowed to do all of these things. And that's just not the way that they're going to handle him. So we've those... beaten, we've beaten the, the, the dead horse that created that circumstance. Well, I'm um, just going to say though, that all those people out there who think that it was all Demarcus, it wasn't all Demarcus. Oh no, it wasn't all Demarcus. There were plenty of people who were dissatisfied with their role, including Rudy Gay, completely dissatisfied with their role with the Sacramento Kings last year. And so we're going to have to, see how that kind of works out it, it was one of 10 as bad as i've ever seen coaching decisions in in my time doing this and that was the strangest part about it and it took a unique situation to bring that about you needed to have a hall of fame coach that had the ego to believe that he could go unilaterally on all of this stuff and then also losing touch with the game and losing touch with how things work and sticking to his guns. I mean, so much went into that, but that was a really bad basketball decision to take one of your best players and effectively kneecap him and, yep. and, and not let him help the team. I mean, you're trying to win games, and, and it was so clearly obvious that he needed to be on the floor 30 minutes a game and handling the ball a lot. I mean, he's just a unique talent. It's seven foot. You know, if you're constructing a team to compete with the Warriors, there was the ringer had an article um, effectively doing almost like a daily fantasy sports type of a thing. But you get to pick from the other 29 teams and each player was assigned a value. How do you beat the Golden State Warriors? You can pick from anybody that you want. You would almost need a Willie Cauley-Stein on the floor because he's seven feet tall. He can run with the best of them. And you need somebody to shadow Kevin Durant. And, and yeah, we could talk about Willie's not great at covering the three-point line. It's something he needs to improve on. But his skill set is so unique, you needed him on the floor 30 minutes a game. Yep. Just that simple. So I'm, I'm backing up the dump truck. I'm pouring all of my money into all of the Willie Cauley-Stein stock that I can get. There it is. Willie Cauley-Stein, you are now the road to 33 in Aaron's oh, And I'm, I, I'm taking the over. I, just, <laughs> let's, let's just get that out of the way. Whatever they come back with, if it's 29, 30, 32, whatever it is, I'm just taking the over. It's going to be painful, but you know, you, you guys know me. I, I can't stop myself. All right, so let's get back on track. So uh, rounding out the, the the Kings rookies, again, there are eight new faces already in Sacramento. We've already seen Duye was waived and Karam Butler was waived. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are out there like, why was Karam Butler waived? Well, it's because, number one, he wasn't going to play this year. Number two, 
by waiving him, they were able to clear up another million dollars in cap space by stretch provisioning him, provisioning him over a three-year period. So he'll get 500, 500, and 500, or he'll count against the cap 500, 500, 500, as opposed to just 1.5 million dollars. Um, so, but they they had to open up these roster spots because they drafted Malachi Richardson out of Syracuse. Now we haven't seen Malachi at all. He just showed up in, in Vegas. The deal had to wait until April, I mean, until July 7th to be official for Marco Bellinelli. Bellinelli and his crazy face mask that he's wearing is now a member of the Charlotte Hornets, and Malachi Richardson is finally a Sacramento King. Um, the only thing that I keep hearing about Malachi Richardson is he has a moxie to him. He has this really, really <laughs> high level of confidence and I think that's something that appealed to the Kings. They're tired of shooting guards that don't have a high level of confidence. And they wanted someone to come in who had the potential to maybe be a starter down the road. But also right now, maybe he can come in and be like a young version of Jamal Crawford. Just come in and chuck like a crazy person and try to fill up the basket during small stretches of the game, trying to buy time for your other players. And so Richardson shot only like 36% from the field as a freshman. He shot like 35 point something percent from three. He's got to learn when to shoot and when not to, but we're not going to see a full-fledged version of him uh, pop out for 35 minutes a game in the NBA this season. I'm kind of intrigued to see what he does in summer league because the Kings left that position kind of wide open for him to come in and he's fun. He's athletic. He's six, six. He, he's got a seven foot wingspan. He has all the tools to be spectacular. He is, some people are putting him as a dark horse to be one of the huge surprises of the, of this draft. But again, we're talking about an 18, 19 year old kid who has uh, an 18, 19 year old kid body that needs to grow and needs to learn and needs to figure out the NBA game and needs to not chuck up so many shots that he gets punched in the face during a locker room scuffle. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little, I'm not worried. I'm just letting that one play out. I I don't want to get too high or too low on him. I think he'll, if he's successful, it'll be because he made his shots and, but defensively you got to worry about his ability to actually stay on the floor. Um, A lot of stuff on tape made it seem like he might have a hard time at this level staying on the floor, and that's even if he's hitting his shots. So that's a we'll see for me. It's not for lack of athleticism or size or or length. It's specifically because he thinks he's a scorer, number one, and guys who just believe that they're – I mean, there was a point where Nate McMillan told uh, – when they were recruiting uh, Jamal Crawford to go to Portland, uh, Nate McMillan I, – I was told this story. Um, he had him in. He said, look – because the Kings were trying to get Jamal Crawford at the same time. It was down to the last two teams. And he said, look, you're going to have to play defense. And he said, well, Nate, I don't play defense. And he goes, well, you're going to have to for me. He goes, no, I'm not. I don't (laughs) play defense. And it was like, okay. Well, they still signed him. And, you know, Sacramento Kings fans, you can blame yourself for that because a lot of you went on Twitter and, told Jamal Crawford not to sign to Sacramento. Um, but but my my point is, he's going to have to figure out the NBA game. And for a rookie, a young player, 
you got to earn your minutes. And he has the body and the frame to earn those minutes. He has to have the brain. And at Syracuse, you're taught a zone. And and I'm sure a guy like this who thought he came in and was going to be like the superstar, uh, he had kind of carte blanche to do whatever he wanted. And he didn't stay in front of his guys. He didn't try. He's going to have to try much harder at the NBA level, right? Yeah, I, if that, everything you said and then some. I'm I'm going to wait and see before I anoint him any minutes at the the shooting guard position this year. Well, not and, any, but like and, as as a as a backup in the rotation. Well, I could even say any because let's be honest here, people. Uh, the Kings have signed some guys that that make his sort of his road to getting minutes extremely difficult. If he wants to play minutes, he's going to have to play defense. Uh, they're going to have depth at the shooting guard position as of right now. And we'll get into the free agent signings in just a minute, but let's finish up with the last draft pick, and that is Isaiah Cousins. Now, I'm going to tell people, when it comes to talking to the media, Isaiah Cousins, like, he's not going to blow you away. He's not going to – you're going to be like, uh-oh. <laughs> what are you trying <laughs> He is disinterested. There was a picture of him with some fans. It was cracking me up. He looked like he just wanted to like kill the photographer. It's it's a deadpan. He goes full fledged, like, like glossy, like thousand yard stare on you. And you're like, Oh, come on. It's it's funny enough to be like a meme. It is. It is. It's like, Oh, there he is. Boom. Looking at you. It's the same look every single time. It's like yeah. Bruce Steele. So I, I was, we were interviewing him this week, and I'm like, man, he's a tough nut to crack. You're sitting there getting like, we're, we're getting as a group like 10, 15 word answers to everything, and that's it. And then I'm like, I kept hearing though, this is what I'm hearing, just so people know. Number one, he has a chance. Not like Skull has a chance. Skull has a chance to be something special. Isaiah Cousins has a chance to make a team and to be an NBA player. And people are like, okay, he's a 59th pick in the draft. You can't expect him to play starter minutes. You, I mean, if he makes it, he makes it. If he doesn't, I'm sure he'll be in the D League for a couple of years and then he'll he'll go play basketball somewhere. Um, he's a big physical dude. Um, but what I'm hearing is when he gets on the court, he's completely different. He is 100% different on the court than he is off the court. And like I've always – like when I, I had met Bobby Jackson in the past, and when you got Bobby Jackson on a court, he's so flamboyant on the court. You get him off the court, and he's super quiet anytime I had met him in the past. But now that I've had a chance to get to know Bobby much better, Bobby's not really super quiet off the court, and there is a, a – like a confidence and a moxie to Bobby off the court that you saw on the court. I don't know where Cousins turns a switch and he becomes a a functional point guard that is demanding and calling out his teammates and sending guys here and there and running a defense and running an offense. He is a, a general on the floor is what I'm hearing. And people are very surprised and they're like, huh, 6'4", huge vertical, almost 7-foot wingspan, huge wingspan, defensive guy if he decides to, if he has a chance to earn a roster spot on day one and to possibly be a guy who sticks it around in the league for six, eight years as a 
strong defensive mind to back a point guard? Well, I mean, we got to figure out what the trade is. You know, how many guys are going out and how many guys are coming in and then do the math on the roster crunch. Yep. Uh, can he be a third point guard in this league? Absolutely. You know, a, a guy that sits the bench, comes in, and, and again, a lot will depend on how you play the rest of the rotation out because Garrett Temple can play any of three positions. He could play point yep. guard, shooting guard, or small forward, and he's going to be the best free agent pickup that the Kings had this year. Well, we're um, getting into that. Don't jump. Don't jump the gun I, on me. I, I, I'm trying, but don't but here's the, the thing. So Pull if back. you go three, if you go three <laughs> for one, Rudy, Ben, and Co- Costa Kufos, and that one is like say a small forward. Well, now hey, you know, the, you, you're going to see a, a big chance for Isaiah Cousins to get in there. And and be the backup point guard. It, it would almost be. I think it would almost make sense at that point. They that would he's still that. chase a guy like Tony Douglas. So they would chase a guy who can come in who has backup point guard experience. I mean, again, no one loves this idea, but uh, Ty Lawson is still out there and available. Who uh, again? Well, There's but, a reason nobody loves that idea, James. Well, there is a reason nobody loves that idea. <laughs> but the fact I would is, put Isaiah Cousins out there before I put. Two years ago, he averaged 18 points and uh, almost 10 assists a game. Yeah, two years. Yeah, ago. I think we got. I think we figured out why he was doing so well too. <laughs> it's called the George Carl system. Yeah, no, he's yeah. he's just lost his fastball. He does not have the ability to break anybody down off the dribble. And in that drive and kick type type of spread game. He was a lot faster, though. I mean, and he was more confident. There's just so much different about Ty Lawson now. You looked at him in Indiana. He's even starting to get beat up. This is a guy who played through a ton of injuries during his time in Denver to the point where it got ridiculous. You're like, man, you got to take some time off. Like, you, yeah. you're just you're hurting your future. And that's what these 25, 26, 27, 28-year-old players do is they play through this stuff, and the minute they turn 29, it all catches up with them. Yeah. Okay, so let's not talk about the guys the Kings haven't signed or haven't traded. Let's talk about the guys that they did bring in. And look, the Kings had between 30 and $34 million in cap space. Uh, I think eventually we'll have a, a more solid understanding of what that number was. And Aaron, I miss this, but did the projected salary cap for next season come down? substantially um, the following season it's by about six million and but before we go there i want to just say thank you to the king's management for listening to the to the podcast <laughs> and, and taking every single piece of advice that i didn't think you guys were going to take you guys took it it was great you guys traded down in the draft you guys didn't go for ryan anderson you didn't go for rajon rondo you 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 took these contracts and made them beautiful with one-year deals and and these little tiny guarantees for year two I, i'm just i'm touched I'm touched over here. Look at that. Aaron's <laughs> taking credit for what has happened. Okay, so I, I'm going to address something first before we get into this. I have had plenty of conversations about what happened with the Ryan Anderson deal. I was told the day before that the Kings were very, very much in the Ryan Anderson uh, sweepstakes. Uh, Peja and Vlade and Ken Catanella and uh, possibly others flew to LA to have a meeting with Anderson, although the Kings will never confirm or deny that at all. Um, they were stealth-like in this entire... I mean, number one, look how stealth-like they were. No one saw any not one of these signings. Uh, it's no it's a, a different environment. It is the information so flow is so different, and it it's is. it's refreshing. I it love is. it. I, it I'm, I'm not into the news breaking as much as others, uh, like yourself and, and other people that we work with. It's refreshing. Yeah, and, and I, I know someone called me out they, on Twitter. They said, you're 
the best like confirmer ever, but you're the worst reporter because you never break any of these things. Okay, there's a whole game to this that people don't understand that we're just pawns in. You get information when you get information. Like, did I break any of the free agencies? Uh, thing, news that came out? Yes. I broke Matt Barnes coming to Sacramento Kings, and I broke how much he was getting paid by the Sacramento Kings. Two things that I can confirm that I was right there and first with. Okay, but outside of that, the rest of this stuff, it it all goes to to major outlets because that is what the agents want. That it, the agents are giving that that information to major outlets all the time. Okay, so let me if you understand that, you have to understand that there's a giant game and that me and Aaron aren't actively going out and going out for drinks with agents and and because that's not what you do when you're covering a specific team when you're covering the league as a whole then there's it it changes there's a different direction that that the news comes but when you're at in in a community where you're trying to well this is the same with every team yeah it is it's you're working sources that are typically local sources you know what's going on inside the team. You know what's going on slightly outside the team. We're, I, honestly, I talk to a lot of players. I do not talk to a lot of their agents. That's just not the way I am. I, I But in this situation, with getting back to Ryan Anderson, I have talked to plenty of people. And a couple of things came out of those. Number one, this whole thing that the Kings offered Ryan Anderson more money, I don't buy it. Uh, that's not what I've been told at all. Um, and I don't think they were looking for a quote unquote hometown, hometown discount, but maybe a little bit of one so they could sign an additional player or two to bolster the roster before they started making moves that trades. So that's number one. Number two, I was told that Ryan Anderson absolutely adores Peja and Vlade and he wants to come to Sacramento and he wants to finish out his career here likely but that he felt that their their team felt like this was two ships passing in the night, that the Kings weren't on, the Kings' modus operandi has changed for this season. It's to build a team going forward, not to rebuild, not to reload. It is to start building a everything, a, a community, a uh, a culture that is sustainable, that can move forward. And they they chose players that have all kinds of character building, you know, sort of that's who they are. And Ryan Anderson would have been welcome in that, but at twenty mil, it would have cost them two or three other players that they really wanted to bring in. Lastly, I heard that Ken Catanella is going to be a superstar. That people should be very excited about him as an up and coming guy because he was brilliant. And the reason Anderson chose not to be here was not because he didn't want to come to Sacramento. It it really came down to, are the Kings ready to make a major push right now? Do the Houston Rockets, who went out and signed Eric Gordon right afterwards, they went out and signed Nene right afterwards, are they closer to competing, not just for a playoff spot, for but for possibly a championship if things go strange? All of these things. Th- this is why... Ryan Anderson chose to go where he did. And maybe two years from now, three years from now, four years from now, 
he'll find his way to Sacramento as you know to finish up his career, but it wasn't the right time right now. So that's what I know of the Ryan Anderson situation. The Kings were on him from the moment free agency started. They wanted him. At the end, they pulled back and said, we want him, but we don't want him that bad in this market. Yeah, I was going to say, like the idea that you pay him anything more than $15 million a year is it's really kind of patently ridiculous given everything we know about him. And the Rockets, though, are a great fit for him. And they are in, in their position right now. Daryl Morey has maybe one to two years before his, his time with the Rockets is up if he doesn't make a big splash. Yep. His style of play has really only – it cuts the league in half almost. You've got to have a specific style that works with James Harden as well as an up-tempo offense once you hire Mike Dan, D'Antoni. So what they have done is they've taken every player that can't play defense but has an offensive game and they've assembled that onto one, one floor – and Ryan Anderson is going to be a huge piece of that because he can get out there on the break and and be that dangerous three-point shooter. And really, he doesn't need the ball in his hands like ever. So James Harden is going to be a good fit with him. So, I mean, if you're the Rockets and you've got a one-year window to make something happen, you don't care about the money. And And 20 mil, that's an absurd amount of money. But you know what? It's not my money. And, and if you're Dar- if you're Daryl Morey, why not do it? I would rather give twenty million to Ryan Anderson than twenty million to Dwight Howard. Oh, well, that, the Dwight the the Hawks cost themselves Al Horford with the Dwight Howard deal. I actually like the fit there. I don't get that at, at about all. at about I, eighteen. Well, they've oh. needed a big big man forever. Well, that's, yeah, that's, but giving giving Horford away and then saying, oh, oh no, wait, was, wait, was, you know what? We'll deal Paul Millsap so you can come back, Horford. Oh, you don't want to come back? Oh, sorry, Paul. That happened. That, that was a big, big, they, they blew it as far as I'm concerned. I mean, and there was no other suitor for Dwight Howard was the other thing. This was about appeasing Dwight Howard's agent and keeping Dwight Howard happy, saying if we're going to pay, see, his market value should have been like 16, 17 mil. But if we pay him that, he's going to be unhappy. So we're not going to do it unless we pay him. It was more than the 24 mil he gave up. Uh, that, was the, that was the demand out of, out of his camp. Even Bazemore, to choose Bazemore over Horford when you had already gone out and drafted a guy who can step in and fill his shoes. I mean, they, they did that. They, they did the that knowing they were guy losing. in the league. They, they did that knowing that they were losing Horford. Al Horford. But then they went out and tried to deal Millsap and pitched him on this whole deal. But they, I mean, that but was they a, lost a massive they thought, mistake, all of it. They, they, I, I don't know if they thought that having Howard would help sell Horford on staying and that they had a number that they weren't willing to go over for Horford. And, and there was a little bit of an overspending kind of a situation with Horford where he might not be worth a max contract. He's pretty, he's getting up there in age. His skills are great, but how will they translate in that fifth year? He's had two freak injuries with his pectoral muscles. There is a little bit of concern there, but but not if, enough to where you don't sign him. I mean, I think Chandler you give him Parsons a max deal. If Parsons is a max guy, then Al Horford is well beyond a max guy. And that's the that's the climate we're in. I mean, if you're going to pay Timothy Mozgov $16 million a year, then Al Horford is worth twenty five. I mean... Yeah, well, the, the thing is you can't use the Timothy Mozgov as a an evaluation. That was just all nuts. of those guys, so many players got that. I mean, the only guy who didn't get paid, strangely... Festus Azili. 
He didn't get paid. Everyone else got like stupid. Did I mean the Alan Crabb? Did you see games. the Alan Crabb offer? Oh yeah. Is that Tyler but, Johnson off? Tyler Johnson has played like forty six games in his entire career. But, but this is this is where the this is the, the gamesmanship comes in. Sean Marks has put out big bets on both Alan Crabb and Tyler Johnson, and what he's done is he's effectively said is we're, we're terrible and we're not getting good anytime soon. So I'm gonna take these bets on young on this young talent, knowing that if I make a mistake, how much how much worse can things get? And Jeremy and these aren't, Lin. They're I mean, not that, huge that, deals. The, the Lynn deal was fine. Yeah, but yeah, but that team is horrible. Still. Yeah, they're horrible, and they can tank. But if you can secure a Tyler Johnson, who can be a quality low-end starter in this league, in my opinion, and then Alan Crabb has more upside than that. He, he has the potential to be kind of a different version of a C.J. McCollum with better defense. Uh, he, has a, he has the ability to be a top 20 either shooting guard or, or three in the league. Top 20, nothing above that. I would say he has the top 15 potential because of his athleticism and he's really shown some good uh, just court sense. He, I really he seems like to go him, to the right. I, I still, I mean, you have to have monstrous players around him to make him effective. But, but the point with Sean Marks is he made the, the offer to Tyler Johnson when the Heat were in the Dwayne Wade sweepstakes, when they were trying to find just, you know, change under the couch cushions. And the same thing for Portland. You know, Portland goes and signs Festus Azili, hoping that they can keep both of their restricted free agents in both Crabb and Myers Leonard. And then the Nets come in and say, oh, yeah, you th- you, you've got the money to do that? Well, we're going to put this offer on the table with the player option in the fourth year and a trade kicker and see how much you wanted to pay this guy to be unhappy coming off the bench because we can offer him a starting job in 35 minutes a game. Yeah. It was a brilliant move by Sean Marks, who's from the Spurs system, who obviously knows what he's doing. And my thinking here is, you don't have anything to lose when you're the Nets. I mean, you don't even have draft picks. <laughs> I mean, you're you're no, in true. purgatory, and you are just going to go out there and suck for three to four years. So if you can happen to get the bird rights on a guy that you know you might catch lightning in the bottle on, and that would be Crab, not not Tyler Johnson, go for it. You got nothing else to lose. Nobody's coming to you anyway. See if you can pull the trigger on some of these young guys and actually get them. Okay. I, I guess if that's the way that they're going to do it. Okay, so we got to get back on track. Uh, let's <laughs> let's play a quick game of love it or hate it. And uh, that's all I want, love it or hate it. I'll, I'll call out a free agent signing, and you factor in whatever you want to factor in. You say love it or hate it, and I'm going to do the same. And then we'll get into these players. Number one. Sweet. Aaron Aflalo, love it or hate it. I like it. I know it's not an option. I like it. I love and, it. And it's, it's because... Oh, oh, oh. We'll get to oh, because. Do I get... We'll get to because. Okay. okay. Anthony Tolliver, love it or hate it? Meh. Mm. Okay. I like, I, I like I'm, Tolliver I'm as in a this, person, but meh. I'm in the same boat. I don't know. Because realistic... Uh, okay, I can't hold you back. Okay, we'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> Garrett Temple, love it or hate it? I love it. I like it a lot, so I guess I've got to love it. Uh, Matt Barnes, love it or hate it? I, I, I love it. I love it, too. S- send me send me your hate, Sacramento. I love it. I, I love it, too. Okay, so so let's break these guys down quick. <laughs> Aflalo, you think Aflalo's lost a step. I, I'm going to say this. I prefer Aflalo at two-year, $25 million with a team option for 1.5 million which i have confirmed for the second season 
I prefer that over Courtney Lee for the next four years at 50 plus at 50. I, I, because I don't think that there's that much difference between the two. I think a is a better scorer. I think he does. They, they do a lot of the same things. He's a better shooter overall. And I, I like the short term, you know, sort of ability to bring in a Flalo. Hope that Malachi Richardson works out this year and that Bogdanovich can take over next year and be a big time player. So that is why I like the Aflalo signing. And I think they give it gives the Kings a reliable shooting guard, not a great shooting guard, but a top 20, 22, 23 shooting guard in the NBA that you can use for a year or two to get you to the next player. And he's a good locker room guy. I'm going to take the dissenting viewpoints on a few of these items. I'm going to say that he lost his fastball in Orlando, and it was due to knee issues and overuse and playing through injury, which we were just talking about earlier. Um, He had his peak season there. He got traded to Portland, and Portland thought that they were getting something uh, usable, and they couldn't really play the guy. Um, and that ended up being one of the kind of the things that pushed over the, the Marcus Aldridge situation. Not that he played a direct role in it, but they didn't go anywhere in the playoffs. Well, I think that had a little bit to do with the fact that they also had C.J. McCollum, who started to blow up at the end of that season, and they also they had other guys coming. I mean, they also had he Wes just, Matthews. He just the problem with the Flalo is he's not good enough to to demand the usage that he demands and his shooting while it was up a little bit this last year, his, he's the the ball sticks and he is really, um, has some poor shot selection. He can't beat his guy anymore. So he goes through a variety of different spin moves and gyrations, a lot of work to get a shot off and it doesn't necessarily make the people around him all that much better. And defensively, he can't keep up with twos anymore in the league. And so in New York, he had a fan in Derek Fisher and a fan in Kurt Rambis, at least in the beginning. And then at the end, it got real bad. Him and Kurt barely talked, really. Um, they were having a war of words in the media. So I, I wonder, is he going to be able to, as veterans decline, is he going to be able to realize that his skill set now is more of a catch-and-shoot guy, not a dribbling guy? I mean, really, he almost needs a restriction on him. You can dribble once or twice, but if if it's not immediately there, you got to get rid of it. Uh, defensively, I would almost like to see him play as a three. I think that he can handle it from a shooting perspective, and I think that defensively that's his best matchup on the floor. Um, then again, that crowds your three spot, but um, you know, with the second unit, I, I, I think that would be ideal for him. But as far as coming in and being a great contract, that's why I like this deal. That's why, back to your point about Ken Catanella, the, the front office altogether, they just killed it because this was the worst free agency class that I think we'll ever see, to be honest, because you'll never have such a cap jump and such a lack of talent at every position. There was the, the top tier guys were, you know, outside of Kevin Durant, even the, the next tier below that, these weren't the guys that you wanted to go heavy on. And next year, there's a ton of great free agents that you do want to go heavy on. And there won't be as much of this floating money around out there to make these crazy deals with. So I thought the Kings did real good to keep these to basically one-year deals. Aflalo, as a one-year guy, I think he comes in, he stabilizes the position. 
Yep. And that's that's all you're asking for. So when you ask me, do I like this deal? Yeah, I like this deal. Um, but I think you have to, so it doesn't blow up in your face. I think you have to have a get real conversation with the flawless to say, hey, guy, catch and shoot, play hard defense, and then we'll go from there. Yep, that's where I'm at too. And, and to be honest with you, I'll point this out to the the Knicks had no scores outside of Carmelo and Porzingis. They they literally had no one else who could score at all. And so if Lalo was asked to take on a role that probably wasn't best suited for his skill set now, and that is to try to score as much as possible from that position. And I just don't think that that's where his value is. His value is as a solid veteran who holds down the position and and gets you a couple of game winners a season, gets you a couple of big nights, and, and then the rest of the time he fits in. And so as long as the Kings still have scores at all around him, then I think he's fine. If he's your fourth option, fifth option in the starting lineup, I think you're fine. If he becomes your third option, you're absolutely screwed. So I think that's where I like him as a player and as a value pick because, again, you just... I, I, I'm he, less concerned because... I'm less concerned because DeMarcus is there and, and Dave Yeager is going to know to put him down on the post. And, and I think that the tempo of the offense is going to be corrected. You know, you, you, not having Rajon Rondo back was the biggest move. We buried the lead on him. It is the biggest move the Kings made this summer was to not bring him back. You're going to see a coherent offense out of these guys. And it's going to remind you of the Michael Malone days. And it's going to be Darren Collison doing something smart with the ball outside of those three random turnovers that he has a, a game that you can't explain why, but he's going to be doing something smart with the ball. And Aaron Aflalo, I believe will probably fall in line and there will be moments that he doesn't, but I think that it's going to be a much better executed offense. All right, let's go. Let's go quickly through Anthony Tolliver. Uh, this is a guy who averaged 5.3 points in 18.6 minutes. He played 72 games last year for the Detroit Pistons. He shot 36% from three. Basically, you're trying to get steel 12 to 18 minutes a night at the power forward position with a a shooter from the corner, a guy who does a specific role. And not only that, but again, let's go back to Ken Catanella, who spent the last, I don't know, what was it, four seasons in Detroit. This is a guy that he knows. It's a guy, this is a Ken Catanella hire from what I can tell and I'm not the only reason why I don't like just say I love this. Number one, it costs you Quincy AC. And I think Quincy AC is a great locker room guy, but a different type of locker room guy. And the other thing that I'll say about uh, Tolliver is basically you bought Karam Butler at the power forward position, a guy who can come in and be that veteran leader, who but who can actually give you you know, a few minutes a night to knock down threes. I just don't understand in any universe where he was worth $8 million this year and an $8 million contract with a $2 million buyout for next year. So basically, I look at him as a $10 million player for this year. I think if it would have been $5 million and $5 million with a with a million and a half or a million dollar buyout for next year, I'm good with it. I think they overspent, and that's just my opinion. That's where I'm at. It's a meh deal. I do think he'll come in and give you 15 good minutes, 18 good minutes, and do exactly what you said. He's a great locker room guy. That's it. You, you, he yep. is really as good as good people 
as they come. Same with Garrett Temple. Let me explain, though, the difference, though, between AC in the locker room and Tolliver in the locker room, just so people understand, what, because everyone's going to be like, well, AC is such a great locker room guy, too. Okay, AC is a great dude. He is a just a, an incredible person. Everyone loves him on the team, and that's why I'm like, man, I really like having him around. The difference is Tolliver is a vocal leader, a professional uh, which again, AC is a professional too, but he's a vocal leader who can actually make an impact where AC is, he's making an impact by getting along with everyone. Tolliver is making an impact by holding people accountable, by being a professional that has a voice in the locker room. That's why I compare him to Karam Butler as opposed to AC, who again is, is someone you want to be friends with and who's well, friends age, with It's everyone. age and wisdom. And and that's what Tolliver brings to the table, yes. As well as his faith, it, which is really strong in his faith. And I think that there's a a really nice synergy there that he can bring to the locker room. Um, but again, I, I you know on, on the pure decision making uh, spectrum of this, I do like AC over uh, Tolliver. And there was just a number of lower end bigs that I thought if you don't to speak to your point about overpayment. I mean, God, you would have loved to have been able to get Darrell Arthur. Who's who's definitely way more or way better player and and kind of in that same price range. Uh, he took a hometown discount to play with Michael Malone. Brandon Bass is a guy that would have been just fine. There were a number of options on the board that I thought the Kings could have looked into. Uh, John Lure was high on my list. I think he's probably a little pricey for the Kings strategy at this point, but that's the only reason that I, that I give it a meh. But he will be clear. He will do exactly what you want him to do. He's going to hit those threes. He's going to block a few shots. He's going to take up some space in the middle, but he's not going to be great defensively. But for that 15-minute span, you'll just be okay with what he's doing. All right, so let's get to Garrett Temple, a 30-year-old who uh, plays the one, the two, and the three, although I'm not really convinced that he still can play the one all the time. Um, but a guy that the Kings gave a three-year, $24 million deal to, I was surprised at the years. I was, again talking about a quality locker room guy a guy who's a self-made man who worked his way into the league a lot like Tolliver worked his way into the league became a really good player um and that's kind of interesting Temple Barnes Tolliver all guys that had to work just to get into the league and I think his versatility is cool and the the thing that really sticks out to me is in today's NBA game you need someone who can't just play the one two and three but who can guard the one, two, and three. And I think Temple makes you stronger by his versatility, by switching. When you do switch, you now don't go from, you know, Rondo to McLemore to, you know, to, again, to Caspi or to Gay. Now you have Temple who can blend in and guard multiple positions on switches and everything else. So I think he's a solid pickup. I would have liked to have seen him maybe at $6 million a year for two years with a team option in year three. That makes more sense to me, but I'm okay with this. And a lot of people are really excited for him because they think he's such a good person and that this is something that he's earned. And if you're getting a player that, that other media in other states and other cities believes earned this and deserves this, then I've got to say, okay, well, maybe there's something to that. Maybe this is a guy that comes in and makes an instant impact, not only with this play where he averaged like 24 minutes a night, um, 
but he, he started 43 games at the small forward. He can play a variety of positions. I think you add in another quality human being who can play multiple positions, guard multiple positions. So that's why I kind of like this deal. I'm not in love with it, but I, I like it and I understand it. Well, your point about other beat writers is really well taken because uh, J. Michael Falgust of uh, the CSN Insider for for Washington was really, really high on this guy. Yeah. And it was not just him personally, but him and his conversations with the coaching staff. They really thought that he was going to be a big piece for the Wizards. And the thing that fell out, so right around January, he was playing about 30 minutes a game. Defensively, he's 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 right there. He is an NBA level defender that's going to bring it every single night and he can cover again 1 through 3 and maybe even a little small ball 4. So all these switches, he's going to be able to handle. He's strong. Um the questions are on the offensive side with his shot and that's why all of his utilization numbers are low. He's a guy that's not going to take a lot of shots. He's going to move the ball. He knows he's not out there for his offense, but his shooting really betrayed him at times. He was very streaky last year, but while he was playing big minutes, he was hitting just about 40% of his three-pointers. And then the next month, he'd hit 27. And then the next month, he'd hit 42. It was up and down for him. It never quite clicked on the shooting side. So if he ever gets the shooting side nailed down, you're going to have the, the equivalent of a 3 and D player that can also run your offense. That is priceless in today's NBA. I'm fine with the price of the contract, the point guard market, is um, pretty uh, inflated, if you will. And I think if he has a decent shooting year, he would have been going for Etwan more money. He would have been going probably for more than Etwan more money. Uh, that's a guy the Kings and a lot of other teams really missed out on. But I think this is a great signing. He will completely make me look good this year. You, you can send it to Old Takes <laughs> Exposed. There it is. He, he's right. going to make me look great. Let, let's hit this last one and... People are this. This is the most polarizing guy almost in the league. Uh, Matt Barnes. I think people are embarrassed when Matt Barnes is called Sackdown's finest. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I think people around the league think that guy is a punk, and he's embarrassing, and he does things like repeatedly that that make you feel like slightly like. Man, I wish he wasn't from Sacramento, <laughs> uh, if that makes sense. But of this group of players, the Kings brought in four new guys. Matt Barnes is the oldest. He's also probably the best on-court player. This guy brings his lunch pail to work every night. He beats people down. He is ferocious. He can be squirrely. But everything I hear is his teammates love him. He is loyal. He basically is a more functional version of Reggie Evans in my mind. Not that he plays a four, but he plays a three. He can guard the two. He can guard the three. He can guard anybody. He is a spectacular defender, even at 36. He can knock down a three, although he didn't hit it that well this season. He is a loyalty guy. And this is what DeMarcus Cousins calls a dog. This is one of his dogs. He loves having one of these guys on the roster. And he'd been asking for Matt Barnes for a while, from what I know, from what I've, I've heard from Cousins out of his mouth. He's been asking for him. And the Kings finally landed him. And whether you love him or not, I think at two years, at 12 million bucks, this was a spectacular deal for the Sacramento Kings. I'm absolutely shocked 
that uh, he was available and that even though he's at an advanced age for an NBA player, it doesn't matter. He's in physical shape to come out and give you 28 to 30 minutes a night if you need it. Uh, he may play only 20 minutes a night for this team. Just really depends on what happens at the three. I'll say this for all the off the court stuff that Sacramento's upset about, they're absolute valid points. And I think there is a conversation that needs to occur or maybe has already occurred within the fan base that addresses the issues of when people make mistakes and they either do or don't own up to them. At what point in time does that restrict them from playing professional basketball? And then at that point, do you want those people on your team? That's a conversation that folks are having out there. Yeah. I think the reality of it is that, he is he is going to be on this team and it's okay if you don't feel good about that because the business of professional basketball is going to go on and it's a great opportunity for have a conversation with your kids about not necessarily following in Matt Barnes footsteps if that's how you feel about it um from a pure basketball perspective i think that again um coming off of a down year for a team that i mean he shot 38% last year and this is a guy that has not wiggled a, like an inch out of the 43 to 46% range for the four years before that. He is exactly as advertised every single season on both sides of the ball. So you know exactly what you're getting. And why his numbers dipped last year is the Grizzlies were really, 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 really bad. They had guys on and off the court all season. He was asked to do way more than he's ever been asked to do. His 9.1 attempts per game are the most that he's had in his career. And, and his minutes weren't all that high at 28 minutes per game. So he's a three-point shooter. He's definitely not a playmaker. Um, so you're buying him low is what I'm getting at. So that's why I love the deal. I think that, um, you know, obviously there's mileage there, but you're not asking him to come in and play 28 minutes per game. I think you want him playing 25 minutes per game. He's going to bring a toughness and an edge, and he's going to take a lot of the attention off of DeMarcus Cousins. He's going to go in. If, if teams want to hack DeMarcus and if the refs aren't going to call fouls because DeMarcus is yelling at them, you know, all the way to the parking lot and at their houses, you know, Matt Barnes will come in and make sure that the other team doesn't get too aggressive with that stuff. Because on the scouting report, as we all know, it's get DeMarcus Cousins angry. Well, you're going to have Matt Barnes in your face if you do that. I think from a basketball perspective, this was an underrated move that is really going to set the Kings up well this year. Matt Barnes has some some warts he's got some things about him that that are unappealing but at the same time he's coming in to play basketball and he does uh love this city he he came to demarcus cousins camp last month and um was with the kids playing with the kids they're donating his time uh there's a lot of love between him and demarcus so i think you have to you can't keep giving a guy benefit of a doubt but there will be a time where you realize that Matt Barnes on another team you hate, Matt Barnes on your team you love. And I think Kings fans are going to see that early in this season where they're like, man, he he does things that drives everyone crazy on the other team. And you need those guys. And so he's here I, either way. He's here and I think – we almost have to use this as an opportunity for positive discussion. If, if you're, you got a kid, you got a kid that's a Kings fan and you, you say, Hey, well, look at that guy, Matt Barnes. You have a conversation with your kid about idol worship and, and, and where, where does it cross the line? 
you know, and, and recognizing that these athletes have flaws and, and not putting them up on a pedestal in that way. I mean, there's a way to spin almost any of these circumstances in a way that's positive for yourself, for the city, for anybody involved. And in light of the, the events that are going on in the world, I, I think more positivity and more education and more uh, perspective could always be used and, and less divisiveness and, and pointing of the fingers. You know, if Matt Barnes can come to Sacramento, maybe he can turn a page. And, and if you could be a part of that, and in, I don't say embracing him, but, you know, just maybe cut him some slack until he comes here and does something again. And if he does something again, then you have that conversation with your kid. Hey, look at that guy. Don't be like him. <laughs> don't be like Matt Barnes. That's going to do it for this edition. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Aaron, somehow we ran this thing long. Uh, really long. We're actually at like a, an hour and fourteen so minutes. Record, this is this isn't a Pete D'Alessandro, but it's close. It, yeah, the yeah that that was the the biggest longest uh, podcast in the history of uh, of podcasting. So, um, Aaron, do you have any final thoughts? Go hug your kids. Have a good day. There it is. Uh, yeah, and, and I'm gonna say coming back, rounding this whole thing out. The Kings aren't done yet. The Kings aren't done. There are going to be trades. I have been told repeatedly that there are trades that are intentions. So the Kings are are combing the market, waiting for guys like Festus Zeli to start, uh, to, I mean, to sign his deal so they can see where Costa Kufis can go. Um, they're looking for a, a home for Ben McLemore and for Rudy Gay. There are more changes coming. And this was just, this was phase two. Phase one, the draft. Phase two, free agency. And now you have to wait and see where they go from here and how this team is sort of completed. But just keep in mind, they're trying to build something and it's both a culture off the court and in the locker room and it's something that's sustainable on the court. And uh, hopefully they've taken some strides to go that way. And uh, But you've got to have some patience here. So... Aaron, you good? I'm good. I'm oh, good. All right. So for Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. Thank you for tuning in to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. We'll be back next week. Some summer league conversation, uh, some court conversation, uh, some Rudy Gay conversation, because if I'm not mistaken, he's got a basketball camp coming to Sacramento. So uh, we will see you next week. Be safe out there and uh, try to stay cool. 